Hello, I'm John Kane, and I welcome you to Let's Talk on this Tuesday, July 16th. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage, and in some cases, start conversations. Uh, we don't do prayers or buffalo speeches. We take a tough look at history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, and politics, and identity as well. We may step on a few toes along the way, but our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that is heaped upon us, and we do it all right here from the Cataraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. Well, but before we do, let me remind people that we stream audio of the show on our uh, website, which is www.letstalknative.com, and we stream video of the show on Facebook Live. We take the audio and we post it up on SoundCloud after we broadcast, and that uh, in turn puts it up and on all of your favorite podcast platforms. We take video of the show and we put it up on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. There you can find this show, our show in New York, as well as some of our short-form videos that we do uh, from time to time. Um, I am, as I said, I am the host of Let's Talk Native, and I'm assisted by Jake Proud here in studio, who is managing our video and our sound. Uh, I've also got uh, Ed Schindler joining us um, for for the program. Uh, in the corner, I got hidden away here. I got my granddaughter, <laughs> Rayelle, and uh, we'll uh, we'll squeeze her into the shot as <laughs> as we get going here. Um, uh, but again, let's um, let's get right into it now. One of the things I'm gonna this is gonna be a little bit of a of a redo I guess or uh, of of our last show I want to talk um, about Christopher Columbus I want to talk about the Santa Maria and the the replica that was uh, you know that was docked here in, locally um, and I want to talk a little bit about the effects of all that stuff and 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 
you know, a little bit more backstory. Uh, we've learned a little bit since uh, since the crew came and went. But let me let me start from the beginning. So last Saturday, uh, we uh, I, I got the notice that that this uh, replica of the Santa Maria, and I guess I knew it was coming, but the, this replica of the Santa Maria was docked at the marina at the Erie Basin in Buffalo. And uh, so a group of us decided we were going to go there and at least let's try to have a conversation. Let's let's at least use this opportunity to to engage um, the subject matter of the ship, its its uh, captain and, and, and the whole bit. So, again, it was the uh, the the Santa Maria replica of the Santa Maria came all the way from Spain, had had a, had a crew with them. Um, now. I don't know. I mean, Buffalo had this, this this other event going on with tall ships and all these, you know, these sailing vessels that were in the area. And the, they happened to coordinate their visit along the same lines, although it wasn't necessarily a part of that whole thing. They're doing this tour. They're they're collecting money for people to, you know, to come onto the ship and take a look and, you know, examine it. Um, it isn't much of a history lesson, and and I'll talk about that a little bit more as we go. But uh, but that's that's what we were there for. So that was this Saturday. I showed up there. I was actually the first person, first native person that was there. Anyway, um, there were already some some white people who were boarding the ship, and in fact, there was a film crew that was uh, filming uh, um, uh, on the ship. And frankly, I thought the film crew was part of uh, was part of the, the the ship. I didn't, you know, I thought maybe they were. You know, I, I didn't. I didn't know what was going on. But anyway, so there, there were um, a number of people lined up to 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 board the ship and and see what was that. You know, what it was all about. I guess I'll, I'll admit I never went on the ship. I wasn't that interested in boarding the vessel, um, but I was interested in having a conversation. Now, I will say before this thing even got to Buffalo, it had already come through Aquasasni. Actually, it was uh, it was docked at uh, Loran Thompson's uh, uh, marina in uh, right on Aquasasni, right on the St. Lawrence. Um, they were greeted and and somewhat graciously they were greeted. They were they told them, look, uh, uh, since you're here, why don't you take that Canadian flag down off of your uh, off of your ship and and hang a, a Haudenosaunee flag? So they gave him a Hiawatha belt, the the purple belt with the, the kind of emulates the the Hiawatha belt. Um, they gave him that that flag, and they and they 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 hoisted it up and they mounted it on the ship. Um, then apparently took it down immediately, but uh, they did put it up there just for the time being. Uh, they they left there. They went to um, they got into Lake Ontario, um, sailed to to Rochester. They were greeted by another group of native people from the the urban center in Rochester, uh, Ronald Garrow uh, Garrow and Company. Now there. <laughs> they they had a bit of an exchange um, that involved a recommendation from the native people in Rochester that it would be great if this crew would offer an apology for the genocide that Columbus was responsible for. Now, so they were trying to elicit this this apology from them, and in doing so, they decided they would actually create a plaque give it to the crew of the Santa Maria and ask them to put it on display. Now, this plaque literally said that they apologized. Now, obviously, they were these words were being put in their mouths. And, and the crew kind of accepted the plaque and said, yeah, we're not sure we could put this on display, though. It's going to be entirely up to the captain of this ship, you know, what, what we really do with it. So they took the plaque and they did their photo ops. And, of course, the ship went on its way. And um, we learned, and I'll tell you exactly how we learned, but we learned that they actually threw the plaque away they they didn't put it on display um and they just they just tossed it so 
Now the now the shift is here in, in in Buffalo, or it's not now today, but it was on the weekend. Um, so they already had some engagement from native people in Aquasasne and in Rochester. So we weren't the first native people that they encountered. So they can't like claim complete ignorance or, or innocence about what they knew or thought they knew about how native people viewed this ship. So any you know expression of surprise or or outrage or hurt that that any of their crew felt shouldn't have been a complete surprise to them but we showed up there and and we had a number of banners among those banners was a banner that said genocide one that said rapist one that said slave uh you know slavery or slaveholder i don't know um i think murder might have been another one i know a couple of people had signs that said something to the effect of um uh, you know that columbus was responsible for uh for genocide something like celebrating columbus is celebrating genocide something along those lines so um i did end up having a conversation with one of their crew members he came over and he said you know this uh these banners are pretty insulting you know they're they're very hurtful to me personally and i so I engaged him. I says, you know, I'm more offended that you're offended <laughs> in, the, in the first place. These signs aren't for you. They're about what the ship represents. He goes, well, you have to understand. We are here to celebrate this, 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 this ship. I says, I, yeah, I know, but you're, you're heroizing what the ship and its crew did. And what I'm here for is to offer some truth and offer a counter-narrative to what you guys are doing. While you guys are trying to celebrate this ship, I'm telling you that that ship represents the first slave ship to come to the Western Hemisphere. I said, and it didn't bring slaves. It took slaves. And then, so, um, the crew member that I talked to, he says, uh, well, actually, this one never made it back to Spain, so this one didn't. I said, well, lucky us. The other two did. The other two didn't just take slaves. They took little girls for slaves because that was what the appetite that the spanish men had for uh you know for for slavery coming from and once they, they you know they knew what the deal was they said oh, we'll, we'll take some little girls back to us but I, I think it's important that people understand the atrocities that were committed by columbus and his men and and i also want to remind people that ultimately you know there were there were clergy that were a part of you know setting up uh once columbus had established a presence on on these islands in the caribbean there was clergy among them who so clergy wrote down everything columbus wrote down everything some of his crew kept journals that's why we know some of this stuff we're not just making this stuff up we're not just speculating about murder or rape or uh disfigurement and, and torture we're not we're not just speculating here they wrote of these things i mean on, some of it was uh, uh, like the clergy wrote of some of this because of the outrage, but some of Columbus's men they, they wrote of it because of I don't know if they were proud of their actions or, or whatever, but but they certainly had no shame. They did, they weren't burying it; they wrote it right down. So that's what we wanted to talk about, and and I told the crew member, I'm not here protesting the ship. I'm saying you brought that here. Now you're giving me the opportunity to have a conversation. You brought it here, so now we're going to tell you uh, tell you what that ship represents to us. That's what I saw. And so it's the same debate that we have when we talk about Christopher Columbus in general. Look, there's statues all over the place. I mean, there's statues in multiple places in Buffalo. There's statues in multiple places in Syracuse, Albany, New York City. And there's this ongoing debate about whether these, these statues should be on display. And my point is, if you don't take them down, 
then we're going to talk about what the, what this man really represents. You may heroize him in bronze, but we're going to tell you tell you some truth about it. We're going we're going to give you the the more full picture of what uh, what Columbus represents. And just so you know, just to, to to put a finer point on it, when Columbus first arrives and and sees the native people, his initial entries in his journals were about how beautiful they were. He was enamored by the by the beauty of the of these of these people the the women were beautiful the the men were were tall and slender and uh and, and in shape i mean he he marveled at at their physique he talked about what beautiful people they were then he commented about how generous they were and how passive they were but then you see in some of his entries of his journals that he starts saying things like these people are so docile we could rule over them with, with merely 50 men. Now, there was a million people there. there were, I mean, there were a lot of people in, in, in these islands in general. And he said, we could, we, could, we could enslave them with 50 men. So he immediately looked at these people as somebody that he could convert, as people he could convert into his servants. Now, the other thing he observed, and there wasn't a lot of it, but he saw a few people had, had um, jewelry. He remarked one, one person in particular had a, had a gold earring. And when he... When he was drawn to it, the person took the earring off and, they, and he said, you can have it as a gift. So he, he, he couldn't believe their generosity. He's thinking, well, if they're, if they're willing to give this away, they must have lots of it. So what Columbus set up was, um, was uh, I, I don't know what, what else you call it, a tax? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> what, what, he, what he made the people of these islands do, he gave them these little, um, they, they call them bells almost, uh, these, these little balls, metal balls on a chain. And he gave each one of them this thing. He says, you need to take this out and you need to fill it with gold and bring it back to me each day. Each day I expect you to bring this ball back filled with gold. Or this bell, as he called it. And if they didn't, they'd be punished. Now, whether they had warnings or not, I don't know. But what was documented was that if they didn't fill, the, fill these, uh, these little metal bells, they would have their hands severed off. They would literally take them to a stump and chop their hands off. Say, now, go collect it and make sure you fill it up the next time. Or they would cut off an ear. Or they would cut off their nose. They disfigured them in some way. Yeah, you were beautiful before we got here, but you're not going to remain beautiful unless you, uh, unless you do our bidding. So these people were, were, uh, you know, were, were tortured. They were enslaved under the threat of extreme violence to fulfill um, the lust that Columbus and his men had. Now, uh, we talk about rape. It is documented both by Columbus and one, uh, some of his men that they were paid with female slaves, young girls. They were paid with them. And in, in one of the, um, the handwritten accounts, one of these guys says, well, the, the captain, you know, this was a gift that he gave to me, this, this girl. And and he talked about the fight that she put up when he was trying to uh, uh, you know trying to take her. He talked about how violent she was and, and and what a tremendous fight she put up, and and that how much he had to beat her to get her to to submit. Then he boasted about how well she performed once she was beaten into submission. This is what they wrote. This is what they they this is what were their own accounts. So again, we aren't speculating about these things. We know what they brought back. They, we know the young girls they brought back to Spain. So this Christopher Columbus that is heroized 
by Italian Americans all over the United States. Not so much back home in Italy, but here I here in the United States, in cities like New York and, and Buffalo and, and all across. That's why more and more cities are saying, you know what? I can't do this anymore. We're not going to celebrate Columbus Day anymore. We're going to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. Now, while I'm not necessarily trying to mandate that there be Indigenous Peoples Day celebrated on the second Monday of every October, I, I am offering the counter-narrative to Columbus. As long as they're going to keep celebrating this man, I'm going to offer some truth to it. So as some of these truths come out, and, and you realize even more, not just the, 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 the torture that these people went through for things like not, not fulfilling you know, their, their lust for gold, but they wouldn't submit to their religious beliefs. They wouldn't accept Jesus Christ and the Bible and all that other stuff. So the ones who rejected it, they killed, they killed them. They executed them. And they did it a couple of different ways. One of the ways they did it is they hung them. Sometimes they hung them and burned them at the same time. They'd, they'd, they'd hang them 13 at a time and then build a fire at their feet. So they would torture them. It wasn't just enough to kill them. They, they had to make sure that they, they tortured them. And they did it. The reason they did 13, that represented the 12 apostles in Jesus Christ. So in what twisted way did these Spanish men believe that they had to almost create a ritualistic execution of these people? They also um, mounted them on crosses, crucified them, and then build, uh, built fires at their feet. And it gets worse. There, was, uh, th- there were times that, that some of the native women, knowing what their children were, were going to face, and among the things that they faced was they also brought attack dogs. So they would, they would have these dogs tear at the flesh of these people. And they were actually they would rip the babies out of the arms of these uh, of the of the mothers, and they would feed the babies to these dogs. Yeah, you you heard me right. And how do I know this? Again, it's written down, folks. They documented this. the 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 um the the religious figures, the the, the bishops, the um uh, that that went went along with them. They wrote of this stuff. They 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 documented the atrocities. The women were so appalled by this and they knew the fate that their children were going to have so some of these women would drown their babies themselves so they wouldn't be fed their live babies would not be fed to these dogs they were casting their 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 babies into in, into the ocean they would cast them in, into into these lagoons this is the level of atrocity that was committed there were over there were like 1.5 million uh, Arawaks in, in the Caribbean within 50 years the entire population was wiped out that's the story that needs to be told so if this country is going to celebrate a man who never even made, made landfall here keep in mind Columbus never made it to North America he never made the South America or Central America he only made it to the islands and in fact he died believing that he had somehow reached the Indian, uh, the, the Indies. The, um, he, he believed that he had reached Indonesia. So this guy who they want to celebrate as, as this you know, tremendous navigator, this brave explorer, well, let's, let's, you know, let's unpack that a little bit. He wasn't a brave explorer. He was a greedy individual who, who did this voyage believing he, he could get rich. And 
Nobody else believed what he believed. He believed that he could sail west across the Atlantic Ocean and reach the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Indian Islands. That's what he believed. And, that, and frankly, that's why, to this day, many people still call us Indians. Because of Columbus. Because he was lost. He didn't even know where he was. He miscalculated the earth almost by half. I mean, so he was closer to Indonesia and India and these, these spice routes and these, the, the Silk Road, all that stuff. He was closer when he was in Spain than at any other time during, during his journey. He sailed farther away from his destination. That's how wrong the guy was. So the reason many nations, you know, as he, as he approached, you know, um, monarch after monarch, most of them said, nah, this guy's nuts. He's nuts. And because people had already been able to figure, done, do some calculations on how big the, the earth must have been. But no, Columbus, no, 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 I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. So he didn't find the gold. He didn't find the spice routes. He didn't find the riches of the, uh, of the uh, you know, of the east but he found this land with, that had eh, a little bit of gold and had some interesting feathers and birds but there was a population there that could be enslaved so that's what he did he enslaved them so the slave trade starts with Columbus the genocide of the western hemisphere starts with Columbus and there's no denying this I mean there's no debunking this version of history now, this isn't the history that you know, kids are learning in school. Not, not the kids in elementary school, not the kids in high school, not even the kids in college. They are being taught this history. There's a book called Rethinking Columbus that kind of sets all the records straight. States like Arizona banned the book. They said, no, well, no, we don't, we, we're not going to have this book here. Hmm. So if you're going to sail a replica of one of Columbus's ships, and this isn't the first one. This has been done before. They, they um, I, you know, I don't know, a decade ago, maybe eight or you know, seven or eight years ago, I think they had a replica of the Nina that they they sailed around in different places. So this is now the Santa Maria. I don't know if they've done all three of them. I don't know if anybody knows if they've done all three of them or not. But you know, and and they they have their own history that they're telling on this boat. You know how proud they are of the of the. Um, mm-hmm. The village in in uh, Spain that uh, you know uh, that was responsible for these boats and the whole bit, but the interesting thing is, there is no mention of native people on the ship. There's no plaque. There's no illustration. There's no. It's like we didn't exist. So the whole idea is they're going to tell the story about the ship and its commander, uh, Columbus, but we're not going to even bring up the native people. Look, they, it's not that they didn't bring up the atrocities. They didn't even bring us up, period. Yeah. It's like we didn't exist. It's like they just sailed into this vacant land. And that's why Columbus could take out his flag and post it and say, I declare this land the property of, uh, of Spain. Now, the reason he could do that is because the Catholic Church had already begun this doctrine of discovery and the enslavement of Africans 50 years prior with uh, the king of Portugal going into Western Africa. Said no, if you can go into a land that doesn't have any Christians on it, you can assert claim to that land. Yes, because we're going to support you spreading Christendom to these pagan and and, and it wasn't that we were just pagans. They viewed anybody who wasn't a Christian to be the enemy of Christians, to be the enemy of Christ, and that's that's the language that comes out of the uh, out of the Vatican. So. Mm-hmm. 
when Columbus sees these lands and knows they're not Christians, but he, he, he can now assert that the, these lands are now the, the property of Spain. So this begins the colonial era. And it also begins, it isn't just slavery that comes with Columbus. Because the whole notion that the church is advocating that the Christian nations of Europe can go into lands that are, that are, that are not occupied by the Christian nations of Europe already and declare those people subjugated and enslave those people, uh, that, he, that he can take all of their possessions, including their land. That's where racism starts. I mean, look, there, were, there, were, there was plenty of persecution that took place in Europe already. It's, it's ironic, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more in the second half of the show. It's ironic, the debate that is raging on now about immigration. Mm-hmm. It's also ironic to listen to somebody like the President of the United States refer to, um, to the, the, the four um, women in Congress who, who are ty- kind of taking a stand against, frankly, the rest of the Democratic Party, but also uh, Trump, and saying that, um, that they must hate the United States. And if they hate it so much, they can go back to their, to their crappy countries that they come from. Now, these, all three of these women are, were American citizens. And in fact, or all four of them, I mean, three of them were born in the United States. But that seems to get lost in all this stuff. But the irony is, the reason there are so many white people here is because they hated the countries that they lived in. They left Europe, a, a Europe that was in a shambles. That's why they left. They left because they had made a mess of Europe. It was, Europe was disease infested. Europe was crime infested. Europe is where freedom you know, didn't exist. So to hear somebody say, well, if you hate this country so much, leave it. That's what you did. You hated your country so much that you left it. You didn't try to fix the countries that you left. You came here because this was new land that you could screw up. That's the bottom line. This was a, this was a new place that you could, that you could you know, um, claim it. You not only claim it, but you could, you could rape the land, the people, the environment, the, uh, the, uh, you know, um, all of the creation here. That's what they did. And, and so then when you look at the immigration battle that, that rages on now and these, these um, kids, these families that are trying to seek asylum in the United States, they're trying to, um, the very thing that Trump says to these four women, if you don't like it, leave. Well, that's what these people are doing. They don't like what their countries have become. And part of the reason they don't like what their countries have become is because of the appetite for drugs that the United States has. So they're trying to leave countries that, that have brutal dictators, oftentimes dictators that have been propped up and, and supported by the United States. <clears throat> so they, they know that if they come to, you know, come to this land, they're they're going to have a better opportunity, and and that's so that's what they, that's what what they're trying to do, but it's ironic to listen to the president of the United States tell people you know if you don't like it leave, which is exactly what Europeans were doing for you know for hundreds of years, and early on, including under British rule, there was a, a much different view about white people coming from Europe than anybody else coming uh, coming into the colonies even before they were you know, they were independent colonies. And of course, the United States—they had a white preference too, and mm-hmm. and the people who were persecuted the most were the people of color, Chinese, you know, the indigenous people here, people from South America, black people. They were all—they they were either enslaved or nearly enslaved, and there was always a preference. Now, I'm not saying the Irishmen weren't persecuted, 
or Italians weren't persecuted, or Jews weren't persecuted, they were. But you know what they were able to do at some point? They were able to assert their whiteness enough <clears throat> to say, yuck, I'm white. So I should enjoy some of that white privilege. So eventually, even the persecuted immigrants that would come from, uh, from Europe would gain a certain privilege that came with their whiteness. But not black people, not brown people, not Asian people. They would continue to be persecuted. And that's the legacy that begins with the first white man to see brown people in this hemisphere. The um, one thing was left out in the previous program is it also applied to women. And the women didn't matter what color they were. They still didn't have the right to vote. They still didn't have the right to own. And the children, they didn't belong to the, they belonged to the father. The father claimed them. You take a look at the persecution against women, and it was just as, uh, just as severe. People have to be aware of that because I went through the University of Buffalo and I got a certification to teach uh, U.S. history. And it's amazing the curriculum they teach. Because they don't teach about the, the genocide, the rape, the, the slavery that Columbus brought about and that he carried on. They don't teach that. They just teach that he discovered these islands according to their, their curriculum. And that's one of the things that's wrong with a lot of these things about U.S. history, starting with the Columbus discovery of the Caribbean islands and I think it's really important for people to start understanding their history because their history is the basis of their current their current uh, concerns well and, and, and again even the characterization of discovering you know it, it, that's such a difficult word for us to, to accept because <clears throat> how do you discover uh, a land that's already inhabited inhabited I mean mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's, what, that's what's so absurd the, the idea that you could have a, a fully inhabited territory and then have somebody else come in and say, oh, we discovered this, so now we can claim this. And, and that, you know, again, comes back from the church. But you're, you're absolutely right, Ed. It should not be missed that among the most persecuted people were the women. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the rape culture that came first with Columbus and with every, <laughs> every you know, uh, boat that came after that. Was, was a rape culture. And the crazy part is, even as the church and others are suggesting that somehow we may not quite be human, they didn't stop them from having, uh, having sex with, the, um, with, uh, with these less than human beings. I mean, again, I, I talked about Thomas Jefferson because we, we did the 4th of July show and talked about you know, the Declaration of Independence. I mean, how absurd is it that this guy writes that all men are created equal in his Declaration of Independence, while he's got slaves at home. Not just slaves that are working his fields, but slaves that he's sleeping with, slaves that he's fathering children with. And those children were slaves. Yeah, they were Mm -hmm. house slaves, but they were still slaves. This is the, the, I mean, the mentality that existed with these founding fathers. I mean, it's no wonder that that you have a president today that is is so obsessed with the racism that that consumes him. We already went past the bottom there, so we'll take a break here, and we'll come back and we'll we'll finish a little bit more on this topic. But I think I just think people have to understand 
the reason that we talk about Columbus not is not because I'm 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 somehow carrying hate along with me, but I know too much not to talk about it. So we'll talk about it more when we come back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. I got Ed Schindler in studio. Um, and we've been talking about Columbus, but you don't, I guess we got to go a little farther than that. But first, let me, let me remind people that I do have sponsors for the show. I've got uh, Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses, Eric White and ERW Enterprises, a few individuals, including my good friend Ed, who uh, makes contributions to the work that we do here. Not only does he show up, and contribute personally <laughs> with uh, with his presence here, but uh, he has also um, uh, helped me with some with some of what we do here. Um, you know, part of the thing is there, there's such a a bias that just continues all the time, and and I gotta I gotta tell you this: two things. The only radio station I really listen to, or primarily listen to, is the is the NPR station here in Buffalo. But man, they get some stuff wrong. They had this. Um, you know, living in Buffalo, 
series that they're trying to do. And they literally advertise. They say, whether you've come to Buffalo recently or your, uh, your family came here 100 years ago, we want to know your story. I'm thinking, well, what about the people who were here before that? I mean, there is not, and, and this isn't just an oversight because I actually reached out to them. I said, you know, your campaign for this living in Buffalo misses the fact that there were people who predate Buffalo. And, and I don't know how you, I don't know how you reconcile that, but they don't address it. But, and, and I got to tell you, some of the things that the NPR stations do, including the local one, they mischaracterize things, in, including, I, I think back when, um, uh, who's the uh, the Supreme Court justice? The uh, uh, Sonia Sotomayor. <clears throat> so when Sonia Sotomayor was nominated for for the Supreme Court, when they were describing her, they said she's the daughter of Puerto Rican immigrants. Okay, first off, the United States has claimed Puerto Rico as U.S. territory since the beginning of the 20th century. Puerto Rico is a part of the United States. Even if some of us think that's wrong, it's a part of the United States. If you come from Puerto Rico to the United States, you are not a freaking immigrant. You are an American that just changed, went from one part of the, uh, of the American territory to another part of American territory. Mm-hmm. So, to, to, so to characterize Sonia Sotomayor as a, uh, you know... <laughs> As an as a daughter of Puerto Rican immigrants is wrong, and so that was that's you know ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Today, you know, one of the congressmen here, Rivera in uh, in Western New York, uh, was was trying to give his statement about um, the racist comments that came from Trump relating to uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, uh, uh, Ilan uh, Omar, Rashid Rashida Tlaib, and um, Ayanna Presley. You know, his, his comment about if you don't like it here, then go back to the into the terrible countries that you, you came from or, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but whatever he said, he basically tell him if you don't like it, leave here and go back to where you came from. Well, they come from here. I mean, it, it's just an absurd proposition. But WBFO, when they were talking about this uh, Congressman Rivera making his comments in, in, in Buffalo, he said he spoke to a crowd that included. Uh, immigrants from Somalia and from Puerto Rico. So they're still saying it. Can, I mean, and I can't wrap my head around this thing. I can't wrap my head around a, a public radio station that is supposed to be a, a little bit on the left, you know, and even if not left, you would think they would be correct in their history. And these characterizations, referring to somebody from Puerto Rico as an immigrant, it may not seem like a racist thing to say that, but the inaccuracy of referring to somebody from Puerto Rico as an immigrant is what kind of puts them that that label is what um, what gives people the opportunity to to criticize and to condemn. That's what uh, that's what happens with this whole idea of referring to a Puerto Rican as as an immigrant. I mean, I, I, I you know, and the, and the crazy part is when Trump is selling somebody like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. To go back to the you know to the the crime ridden corrupt countries or uh, places that you come from, she comes from the Bronx, and you know and I gotta say when when I hear Trump say you know these these women are come from countries that are um, that are corrupt and crime infested, yeah you know you're right, it's called the United States.
That is the corrupt country that they're from. That is the, the country that has a corrupt electoral system. It's got a corrupt government. It's got racist leaders. Uh, I mean, they, uh, um, I think Congress tried to pass a resolution today condemning the president's comments about, the, uh, about these four women. And it passed. The resolution passed through the, the, the House. But only four Republicans were prepared to con- uh, condemn those comments. And this is the challenge we have. You know, and, and, I, and I, this reminds me of me speaking to the city council of Niagara Falls when their mayor, a Democrat, stood up at a 9-11 commemoration and compared the first responders of New York, New York City from 9-11, to the dashing young men of the 19th century cavalry. Yeah, the ones who murdered at Sand Creek and, wound, and Wounded Knee and, and all of these places. Mm-hmm. The ones who, you know, who, who weren't these young, dashing, intelligent young men. Most of these guys were illiterate, vengeful, bloodthirsty, savages in their, in their blue uniform. And, 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 and he says, they ru- he compared those ones at 9-11, he says, they rushed into harm's way to save people. Those, cav- those cavalrymen weren't rushing into harm's way to save people. No. So I spoke up at the city council in Niagara Falls, and I said, I'm asking you, the city council, and, and uh, Paul Deister, the mayor of Niagara Falls, is sitting right there. I said, I'm asking you to condemn the comments of, uh, of your mayor. I'm asking you to pass a resolution condemning the comments. Because not only did he make that comparison, then he went on to blame the Senecas for um, withholding payments to Niagara Falls um, and putting their first responders in danger. So he, he used 9-11, a 9-11 commemoration, to insult Senecas and to insult Native people at large by comparing the 19th century cavalry to, to the first responders trying, who, who, who perished in, uh, at 9-11. And you know what? They didn't do it. They wouldn't do it. Not even the Republicans on that city council, who you'd think would want to take some sort of political shot at the Democratic mayor, they wouldn't do it either. So even though I made this comment, and, I, and I'll tell you, I had a standing ovation behind me. That place was packed. There was some, some battle over paying for trash removal or something going on there. So, so it just so happened at that city council meeting, the place was full. But I got up, and I spoke my piece, and I got a standing ovation from the people behind me. And the people, uh, the, the city council, they actually interrupted me, wouldn't let me quite finish my statement. Um, they, they, they accepted it in print, and I handed it off to a few people in the press. But... Um, so when you when you see, even when you try to stand up, and you try to raise an issue, you know about a racist comment made by a president or a mayor or a governor, you're hard pressed. You are very hard pressed to get anybody to respond and take any responsibility or or, or hold anybody accountable for it. I think one of the things that has to be understood is is the both the ignorance of the people regarding the history of their country, but also they have to pay attention to, like, Trump. Trump said that he w- he represented the people who voted for him. He didn't represent the people who are American citizens. <laughs> he said he represented the people who voted for him. And the people in Congress, they don't represent the people who voted for him either. <laughs> they They represent only the ones who are supporting them. Yeah, Meaning financially. Financially, <laughs> yes. 
those are the ones they, they consider their constituents, not the ones who are part of the um, American citizenship. They don't represent those ones. It doesn't matter if they're part of Kentucky and they don't, and you're, you're talking about people in Montana or wherever else. They don't represent the American people. They represent the American donors. Yeah. They well, come right out and said that. Well, it's interesting because uh, Trump was confronted with uh, with his racist comments towards uh, these women that they call the squad, uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, Omar, Tlaib, and, and Presley. Um, and when he was asked about it, he said, well, many people agree with me. So as long as he's got a white following, uh, you, know, uh, you know, and again, a racist following, he feels justified. And he was also asked, well, how do you feel about the fact that that um, white supremacists eat up all this stuff that you say? He goes, oh, that doesn't concern me. So he doesn't mind that he's got, you know, the KKK crowd, these white supremacists and, you know, all of these, these you know, white ring, white right wing nut jobs um, backing his, his comments. He, he doesn't care. I mean, he knows that's part of his base. And then you get so much of um, of the Republican Senate and, uh, and House that they won't oppose him. I mean, I mean, one of the most vocal opponents that that Trump had early on was Lindsey Graham. This guy is sucking up to Trump so badly that it that that it's downright pathetic. I mean, it's just it's just downright pathetic. But you know, I think th- there's such an irony to listen to um, uh, again t- to any any white person condemn brown people. And say that if they don't like it here, they should leave. Let's think about this for a second. Now, I'm not suggesting that running for Congress is a solution to the problem. But it's a solution. It's an attempt. You look, these four women and many others who, who run for these offices, they believe that they can fix it. The reason they ran for office, and frankly, the reason they were elected... Is because people believe that there's problems and they need a voice like this. So, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, I'm not saying I agree with her on, on, on completely and politically. I'm not saying I do. And of course, I don't vote in those elections anyway. But the fact is, it isn't that she hates the United States. She's recognizing the problems. And how is that not being patriotic? If what could be more patriotic than putting yourself in, in a system that you already know is, is, is dysfunctional with this idealistic view that you can go there to fix it. I think that is patriotic. I mean, I'm not, I'm not big on patriotism, but I mean, I, so to, to say that these people, if they, they should leave the country, look, here's my comment. If you're white and you hate brown people, there's a whole continent that, where you came from that you can go back to too. So before you tell a brown person to go back where they came from, well, and, and look, and I'm not condemning all white people. I'm saying if you are white and you hate people of color, if, you, if you're a racist and you don't like the browning of America, because that's what's at, at stake here. Look, there is, this is a country that was founded on white supremacy, Right from Christopher Columbus's first voyage on the Santa Maria, the, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, that was founded on on a, on a belief that they had the church on their uh, on their side, and they could go to go someplace and they could just declare 
property in the name of Jesus Christ and in the name of the whatever you know country sent them. So racism and slavery were at the foundation of these early voyages and, and would continue on through. So the fact that, that we live, what, what comes out of that is not just white supremacy, but what white supremacy establishes is what we call white privilege. And white privilege, and again, this is where, you know, when I talk about, you know, Italians or Irishmen or Jews, eventually that white privilege gets shared with them, even though they were made and persecuted early on as they, as, as they came as immigrants. They ultimately would be showered with some of this white privilege as, as well. Here's the problem with white privilege. Maintaining it. And what happens when you start worrying about white privilege is the third phase, white fragility. So the fear that white people have that they are going to lose their majority stake in controlling everything, that they, that they may even lose some of their wealth, the fear, that is what white fragility is about. So when that starts to, when that starts to consume certain people, they have to be even more overt in the racism. A lot of what, what Trump is stoking is the fear that white people have. Their white fragility. And they, they're so concerned they're going to lose something that they've got to keep asserting over and over again that anybody who doesn't agree with them must hate the country, must hate the land. Look, and, and I get accused all the time of, of being a, a hateful, angry person. And I'm not. You know, look, and I know I can say it. And I guess Trump could say he's not a racist, and I guess I can say I'm not angry. I'm not angry. But I'm informed. I understand what the true history is. And, and, I, and I look for it. I, I read the stuff. And look, I'm try, I try to remain open to different perspectives. But when I hear, when I hear not only a racist comment, comment come out of somebody, and I'm not just talking about Trump. I mean, I, look, we, we experience this every day. But when you call it out, and the first thing somebody wants to do is deny, oh, that's not really racist. Or they'll say, yeah, but if you, didn't you call somebody a white person? Calling somebody a white person is racist. No, it isn't. Well, I mean, we're not, I mean, to, to call out somebody who is a racist is not racist. I mean, I, I once posted a meme, and, it, and it's actually gotten some pretty good traffic. I said, racism, racism is so American that when you protest racism, people think you're protesting America. I mean, how absurd is that? That if you stand, if you fight injustice, then the assumption is that you hate the country that has the injustice. I mean, that is not even a reasonable deduction for somebody to make. Yet, that's what happens. So what we stand for, what we stand for in telling the truth in history is not just offering a counter-narrative. It's about saying, look, it's not fair that you're going to educate my 10-year-old granddaughter and tell her stuff that's not true. It's not fair. It's not fair to her. It's not fair to the people that she's going to come to, come to know in, throughout her life. It's not fair to, to, um, to the, the people of color that she's going to have to experience. If you're going to sit there and, and, and justify, say slavery was okay, oh, well, it was okay for the time. No, it wasn't okay for the time. Sex slaves was never okay. 
No. You know, uh, building an economy in this country based on the labor stolen from human beings, on the land stolen from human beings, on the resources stolen from other human beings, on, on destroying the land, the air, the water, on the elimination of species after species after species because of your own appetite for consumption. That's not fair. And um, one thing that you got to realize is it's not fair to the coming generations. And that's one of the things that that is misunderstood and not carried out within these United States. They don't look after the coming generations. To them, that's leaving money in the bank, not leaving air, water, land, and all the different well, you're, you're mortgaging ecology. the future of your of your own children and grandchildren, and 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 of course, the reason we talk about seven generations is that we, as Haudenosaunee, as Ongwe, we believe that we have a responsibility that goes beyond the generations that we that we will that come we into contact with. In our, yeah, yeah, we're, that we have a responsibility to those to those faces we will never see, not just the beautiful faces of our children and our grandchildren. But the beautiful faces we'll never see. That's a beauty we will never see. And and if we bankrupt their future with the elimination of species, with the with climate change, with the, uh, you know with with perpetuating racism and injustice, creating a such a divisive attitude. Look, the United States has had uh, you know has been rife with racism. <clears throat> Since its since its beginning, I mean, look, we were called miserable or uh, merciless Indian savages in the Declaration of Independence. The Constitution of the United States <clears throat> counts a black man as only three fifths of a human being. I mean, they don't even and they don't even mention women in the, in the Constitution. So when you when you consider the injustice that lies at the foundation of the United States and realize how much of it continues, look in my lifetime. Look, I, I, you know, I'm old enough that I, you know, uh, as a child, I experienced the civil rights movement. You know, I, I witnessed some of that. But in, in the recent part of my life, this is the most divisive. I have never seen such overt racism expressed by so many people as, as I do today. And it's not because it wasn't always there. That, that what Trump has done is that it's empowered people. It, it's almost given permission for people not just to have this latent attitude and this latent racism, but to carry it even, uh, you know, but to, to shout it out to the world. Look, you can watch YouTube video after YouTube video after YouTube video of little old ladies condemning somebody sim- simply for speaking Spanish or having an accent. I mean, you can find, I mean, people calling, calling the police because of, just because a black person used a public pool. I mean, this is the world that we live in. And you know what? It is worse today than it was 10 years ago. Now, I'm not saying it's worse than it was in the 50s and the 60s. It certainly isn't. But it's, it's heading back that way. It's heading back that way. And, you know, and, and I, look, I don't even blame, I don't blame Trump for this. What I blame hmm. is, the, is the cowardice of the people who will tolerate this. Look, it isn't the actions of my enemies that concern me. It's the inaction of my friends. It's the ones who won't do anything about 
what they experience in terms of seeing somebody persecuted and oppressed. If you're not willing to stand up for, for people who are oppressed, oppressed then, then, then you're part of the problem. So, I mean, we, be, we begin this program talking about Christopher Columbus. Because as far as this hemisphere goes, and I, look, I hear it all the time, oh, you all people had slaves. Well, that's not true. It's simply not true. And especially slavery in, for what we know of slavery. Oh, my, look, I had somebody in New York call me and says, well, um, is, uh, Egypt had Jewish slaves. Should I get reparations? A, a Jewish person called, called me up and said that. I says, yeah, how's your life now? Do you still feel oppressed in the United States? And they said, no. Then what are you complaining about? I mean, you look at the lives that black people live. The lowest end of, of the economic scale, highest unemployment of a, of a major group, until you look at a smaller group, until you look at native people. Then you realize the highest unemployment is in native territories. The highest suicide rate is in native to- territories. The highest rate of missing and murdered uh, pe- women is in native territories. The, the highest rate of, um, uh, of substance abuse is in native territory. The highest rate of death by cop today, not 1950s, not in the 70s you know, uh, when AIM got started, but today, the highest rate of death by cop is native people. There's one age demographic, the 16 to 20-year-olds, where black people surpass proportionally I'm talking about here, surpassed uh, death, uh, Native people in death by cop. That's the only demographic. Now, I am talking about proportionally here because, honestly, more white people are killed by cops than black people because there's more white people and because white people commit crimes at the same rate that anybody else commits crimes. And yet, if you go into a prison, you're going to see more black people in a prison. I mean, the, the deduction would be Oh, black people must commit crimes at a higher rate. No, that's not true. If you go into Canada, you're going to see 20% of the prison population are native. Mm-hmm. Native people represent only about 2 to 3% of the, of, the, of the Canadian population, yet 20% of the prison population, even the women's prisons, 20% of the, of the population are, are native women. Now, does that mean that we, we are genetically predisposed to commit crimes? Hell no. It's because today we still live with the effects of genocide. We still live with the effects of, of, of slavery. And we still live in a racist society. And I'm going to say it one more time. Racism is a white thing. Now, can a black man hate a white person? Yes, they can. Can a native person hate a white person? Yes, they can. But that's not racism. That might be racial bias. Racism is about power and a belief in superiority. Racism means that you view yourself genetically and racially superior to the people who are not like you. That's what racism is. Racism racism isn't even just about hate. You know what? There were a whole lot of white people who liked their slaves. There were a few of them who loved their slaves. There were a few of them who didn't love them but had sex with their slaves. It wasn't that they hated them. They owned them. They were superior to them. That is what racism is. So anytime I hear a white person say, yeah, I don't like it when black people are racist either. Well, that's you, you, you can say that, 
but black people aren't racist. Black people, people may have a justifiable bias towards white people because of a history of racism and slavery and Jim Crow and all that stuff. And you know what? So do Native people. I don't, I'm not advocating racial bias. I'm not advocating hate in any way, shape, or form. But you have to understand the difference between racism and racial bias. I think it's just an important distinction. All right, we're just about out of time, so let's wrap it up. Ed, I want to thank you uh, for joining me. We, I, I'm still trying to figure out what we're going to do for our schedule on Saturday uh, because I do have to go to Syracuse on Saturday. Um, we may do a show on Friday or Sunday. Um, I'll make an announcement and let you know which day, but we're probably not going to do a Saturday night show. Uh, I will be in New York on Thursday, though. Uh, I'm doing a two-hour special. Uh, there's, we're acknowledging Mandela Day on WBAI in New York, so I'm going to talk a little bit about Peltier, the, the longest-serving uh, political prisoner in the United States at this point. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, you know some of the uh, you know, absurd comments that even came from guys like Barack Obama relating to uh, um, Mandela's uh, funeral when he eulogized him. So I'll talk about a little bit about that. That's what we'll do our show on on, on Thursday and uh, from four to six p.m. on WBAI. That's uh, ninety nine point five on the FM dial. Um, and then we'll be back here on the weekend. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Yeah.